As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. We actually have all the ingredients to solve hunger. We have the food. We have resources. We just need to direct them all at the same time in the same direction. So I think that the pandemic has provided a lot of attention and a lot of desire and will to say, let's support this very basic need. Let's support hunger relief. Then the next thing and the next thing that comes down the road, whenever that might be, we're going to have healthier communities and that helps everybody. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is definitely Milwaukee. Conversations with the movers and shakers that put our slice of Wisconsin on the map in the worlds of entertainment, business, sports, and more. I'm Carl Deffenbaugh. Tackling a problem that's bigger than ever. During the pandemic, nonprofits like Feeding America Eastern Wisconsin have provided life-saving food and resources for more and more people in need. And the person coordinating that massive effort is President and CEO Patty Haubeck. Patty explains how an interest in game theory helped her prepare for the pandemic and the astounding number of people needing help for the first time. Plus, her magical childhood roller skating around the Mecca, why a journey to the Spam Museum should be on your family's next road trip, and how the heck she ended up in a car with Johnny Cash. Here's Patty Haubeck leading us down the road to solving food insecurity. Very happy to be joined by Patty Haubeck here, the president and CEO of Feeding America Eastern Wisconsin, who has had a very busy year and a very busy uh, recent slate of stuff as well. Patty, thank you so much for carving out some time for us. No, thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm excited. This is kind of funny because I was going to start with a little bit of a lighter thing that in my research and reading for this, I learned that you wanted to be a dentist. And I was going to ask if you uh, were maybe reconsidering your career paths, given what <laughs> was thrown at the nonprofit world for sure. But you're apparently also getting out of a, a procedure. So that's a sort of appropriate question. It, it is an appropriate question. Yeah, I, um, I had from little on, I had planned to be a dentist right through college. And I actually was a dental assistant. I was a periodontal surgeon assistant to, to work my way through college. I even went so far as um, there was a dentist friend where I grew up and he was um, a a professor at a school of medicine and dentistry. And um, we had a plan. I was going to go there um, for school and then take over his practice. He was the one I I worked for. And um, yeah, my my junior year of college, I decided maybe that's not what I want to do. And so it was kind of a shock, but it was a good experience anyway. What was kind of that fork in the road moment or what was it about the nonprofit world that attracted you and made you want to pursue that for a career? When I was in college, I, um, I spent a lot of time in leadership, especially on uh, current issues that were affecting young people. And a, a college campus is a lot like a, a community, just, just very um, hyper-local. And so what you saw on a college campus is very typical of what you see in a community. So you saw, um, you know, all the issues, you saw all the joys, everything that goes on in a community, just very condensed. And so I used to get involved in all of those uh, leadership areas and spent a lot of time in education and um, working for the improvement of campus. And I decided I just wanted to do that on a larger scale. So 
I shifted um, and just went um, into nonprofit work, which allows me to make those um, just really affect the community, but on a larger scale. We're certainly seeing that this year with all the uh, assistance you guys have been able to provide to those in need. What has this year been like? I know there's there's very few words to describe it, or at least ones that we can say on on this. Yeah. <laughs> How challenging has this been? And kind of where are you guys at now as we are getting into the first part of 2021? Well, this has actually been very interesting because I, I spend a lot of time thinking of that. When the pandemic first um, first came to light. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a news junkie. I follow the news. I, I pay attention to things. And I'm, I'm also, um, I, I study game theory. It's just something that I've always been interested in. So putting those two things together, I was watching what was developing in China um, well before it came to America. And I played it out in my head that this is, if it would come to America, if it would come to the United States, we would actually be heavily affected. And so I started putting pieces in place just um, thinking that maybe this was going to affect us. And so I carried a heavier inventory. Um, I ordered a lot of bulk grains, knowing that grains are one of the first things that would get um, get disrupted. And, and so early on, we were planning. I knew that, um, that sourcing was going to be very difficult if this became a global event, which ultimately it did. So that sounds very planned, but it was actually a lot of luck. And um, so we were, we were set to go into this and we always were an organization that planned for emergencies. Um, but this just ended up going on much longer than anyone thought and got much more serious than anybody thought. And so, um, you know, it's leading an organization like Feeding America Eastern Wisconsin, where we affect 35 counties in the state. It was, um, it was always trying to stay one step ahead and trying to think, how are the communities being affected and how can I use my resources and our, our relationships to help those communities really hold it together? For example, if a, if a pantry um, was struggling, what would the contingency plans be for us to support that community? And we had to pull a lot of those into play, into play a number of times over the last 10 months. So it's, it's been a long, a long haul. My staff are exhausted, um, but, but in a strange way, we're still really, um, energized. There's been a lot of silver linings, a lot of good stories that we will look back on and be able to pull together. Um, but right now, you know, it's just a lot of um, hustling to stay ahead of, of the virus and its effects. I'll certainly ask you for some of those good stories as well, but I guess that foresight is why you're the president, right? Possibly. I read something recently that I thought really put into perspective just how big an impact this has had in terms of the number of people asking for assistance or getting assistance for the first time, the number of people in your system who are new to this need and maybe learning what resources are out there and available and maybe coming to grips with what, what they do require now. What are those numbers and what has that been like to see? So typically we would, um, across the eastern side of Wisconsin, we'd be um, helping out through our network about 400,000 people in need. Now we're more at about 600,000. And so um, that's about a 36% increase. But what is interesting about that is about 40% of the new people in the system have never used a hunger relief system before. And, and that presented some real challenges um, and some real concerns. For example, um, a person who's never navigated uh, an assistance, whether it's hunger relief or um, any other need for assistance from a community, you know, there's always the question of where do I start? How do I ask for help? 
what is the community going to think if I can't support my family? And so what was happening is a lot of these new, new people into the system were waiting until they had nothing left in their house before they were asking for help. Literally, they had less than a day's worth of food in their house, which is not something we were typically seeing prior to the pandemic. And so it's a, it's a different way for us to think about hunger in the region and how we're going to serve that um, that population. And so um, we had to have boxes ready and we would have um, um, people like the police officers coming to our, our location and picking up these boxes and taking it out to families just to make sure they had enough while we helped them navigate the system. Um, big shout out to United Way's 211 program. Um, that was where we sent a lot of people when, when they needed to start navigating. We told them to go to our website or to go to 211. That, that was a real help during this pandemic. People were able to get on the phone and talk to somebody to help them navigate. So um, it takes a community to, to pull off something like surviving a pandemic. Yeah, that's for sure. What have been some other, um, I guess, wins that you guys have had over the year? Maybe some things that, that have come about because of the curveballs thrown your way that you've actually been able to hit out of the park to continue with the baseball metaphor here. Some <laughs> things that you've learned and adjusted that you've been, been particularly proud of over the year. Yes. Um, so we needed to, early on, the supply chain um, that we relied on, and it was a, a solid supply chain that we had built up over 40 years of our existence, um, a donation uh, model where we re we relied on a lot of donations from growers and grocers and manufacturers and suddenly that was completely disrupted there was even if we would have had a lot of money there was no food to be had in the system early on in the pandemic um, we had to in some senses compete with retailers or other manufacturers or i'm sorry with other um, people who are sourcing food to to try to get at um, the food that was in the, the disrupted supply chain so um, we quickly shifted our model and became uh, very, very, very good at purchasing and purchasing quick and purchasing the right food. Um, we were able to partner with uh, all of our food pantries, of course, but also with other food banks so that we could source at the best pricing. And we um, were able to figure out how to bring in massive amounts of food um, and get that in-house in stored sorted and out into the into the um, 35 counties very, very quickly. So that was a huge win for our operations and distribution and logistics. Um, another one is the federal government um, came up with the plan to uh, distribute the USDA boxes, Farmers to Families program. It was very, very nice to have that much good fresh produce and uh, protein coming into the system. But these were pre-packed boxes with different, uh, with product in it that was stored at different temperatures. And we had to receive that and distribute it to a community, to the end user immediately. Typically we don't distribute at that quantity, at that scale to the end user. We use the pantry system. And in this case, we couldn't do that. And if we said no, that we couldn't figure it out, then all of that product wouldn't come into Wisconsin. Um, so we stepped it up very, very quickly and, and figured out how to distribute massive amounts um, into communities all over the Eastern side, whether it's urban or rural or, or small metro, how to distribute all of that. And, and that was fun and exciting. Um, I can't wait to go back to our regular system. It's a little, it's a little slower, a little bit more reliable, but certainly um, during that time, it was able to support very critical areas around the state and, and we were, really proud to be able to do that. Yeah. 
where where do we go from here? Where do you see the biggest challenges now that we are into winter? It is wonderful to see vaccines actually going out to people now, but we know that the supply will be relatively low for a long period of time. So we're not out of this yet. Yeah. What do you see as the biggest challenges for the winter and what are you preparing for? Well, a couple of things. Um, we have a, a partnership with all the major health systems around um, in normal uh, to more typical times. And we're partnering with those health systems. We're reaching out to them to say, you know, as we need to um, mobilize mass amounts of people and get them into the system to be vaccinated, um, some we we figured out now how to move a lot of people through a through a line very very quickly. So we've offered that, but we certainly offer um, help with the. Uh, areas where people who are low income who need food assistance anyway, can we combine our two um, our, our two resources, the vaccine and, and the food, to bring it together to give people kind of an incentive to come out and get those vaccinations when they're available? I've been working very hard with the state and federal level to declare hunger relief um, employees who've been on the front line during this entire um, pandemic, whether it's food pantries or meal programs, emergency shelters, the food bank all of the staff to be um, classified as essential workers and make sure that they're somewhere near the appropriate place in line for associate or for essential workers to get vaccinated because that's going to be very important that we stay healthy so we can keep the supply going. In, in um, 2021, as the year starts progressing, we know that this is going to be, hunger relief is going to be a lagging recovery. We know we're going to be in it for the long haul, even as the economy, even as peop, um, the general population starts coming out of that feeling of being underneath the pandemic, the effects are gonna linger for those who are on the lower economic bracket. And we're gonna be there as we have been and um, serving the need for as long as, as long as it's needed. That was gonna be sort of my question, a little bit of a two-part question here. One of the things that um, I've come across or, or read is that on the one hand, you hit, it's a little bit of a silver lining, but I think there's maybe more of an understanding, more of an acceptance of the need out there, that there's not as much judgment for people who do need some food, do need some help to get by, because so many people have been thrown into situations they were not prepared for and were not ready for this year. So coming off of that, the main mission for Feeding America is ending food insecurity, fighting that throughout Wisconsin, throughout the country. Are we closer to that? Are we farther away from that at this point, given everything that we've been through? Obviously, more people are needing food assistance, but the big picture goal, is that is that more attainable now than it was? Well, I believe it is, but I'm also an eternal optimist. So we, um, we were making great strides before the pandemic. We were um, making some some good connections. We were moving the needle where we needed it to go. It's, it's a long... Um, it's a long approach. Some people say that it's never going to be achievable to solve hunger, um, but we actually have all the ingredients to solve hunger. We have the food, we have um, resources. We just need to direct them all at the same time in the same direction. And there has to be a will from the community to want this issue to be to be over. And I think that's one of the things that came out of the, the pandemic is um, that attention to the fact that, just like you said, um, the people are needing food assistance many times through no fault of their own, most times through no fault of their own. It is um, situational, it's environmental, it's um, it's things that happen. Um, uh, this pandemic through the people that, um, you know, were, were self-sustaining, but kind of closer to that line, it kind of backed them up a little bit. They're not gonna be in the hunger relief system forever. They're just gonna take a little bit of time to get back on their feet and then move forward. So I, I think that the pandemic has provided um, a lot of attention and a lot of desire and will to say, 
let's support this very basic need. Let's support hunger relief. Um, let's look at if we can provide um, food as, as a building block to health, then the next thing and the next thing that comes down the road, whenever that might be, we're going to have healthier communities and that helps everybody. Yeah, that's well said. Um, I'd be curious, just kind of big picture, because you're obviously uh, very good at what you do. What do you think it takes to, to run a nonprofit, to work in this world? What skill sets are necessary in this versus any other endeavor? And, and what is it that's kind of kept you in this all these years, not just getting you into it out of college, but kept you? So it's interesting. The nonprofit sector has evolved and is evolving um, in, a, in a really neat way. It's, it's sometimes called the third sector because um, it's always been its own it's its own sector, but it's always intersected with business and education and government. Um, and the challenge to it is historically, it was always seen as that nice place where people with hearts want to go and do some nice work. Um, it was seen as a, as kind of the charity section, sector. That's really changing now. And people understand um, just the huge economic um, support that the nonprofit profit sector gives the country and, and what a big, player, the nonprofit sector is in the economy as a whole. Um, it also is understanding the, um, the pivotal role it plays in um, creating those safety nets and those supports. And um, with that, there's also this understanding that we have to look at the nonprofit sector as a business. There has to be money to run the nonprofits and run them well. We have to pay our nonprofit um, employees a living wage and a, and a reasonable wage, comparative wage, so that we can continue to do the good work that supports the entire community. When you think about it, if we do our job well, um, we're providing the health and um, stability inside of families. It reduces stress. It allows children to learn better. It allows families to work, to be healthier. We're supporting a workforce. We're supporting the future. And even on the other end, the seniors, um, the nonprofit sector really supports a lot of that. So we play a pivotal role and I think it's just exciting watching the evolution of the nonprofit sector as a business, as a recognized um, partner to the other sector sectors and just what a critical role and permanent role it's going to play. Hmm. Interesting. I'll switch gears if that's okay. Go to a, yeah. a little bit of your background. Uh, born in Milwaukee. Is that right? And, and I was. Yeah. Years. One of the fun things that I saw, did your dad used to manage the Mecca? <laughs> he did <laughs> when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> Bradley Center going way back. Yeah, when I was a kid, he managed Mecca before we um, we moved as, as his career um, ended up in New York. Um, so we ended up on the East Coast. But um, when I was a kid, he managed Mecca. And so I used to go to work with him um, and roller skate around the building when it was empty. A lot of halls and, and fun ramps to, to skate on. Um, I used to go and watch all the shows and then get to go and meet the, the cast afterwards. I even have... Um, I even have the stamp of Tony the Wonder Horse, um, the footprint from Tony the Wonder Horse from one of the presentation or one of the shows that was in Mecca when I was little. <laughs> so. That's like a magical way for a kid to grow up, right? It was. <laughs> <laughs> Part of your college story I found really fascinating too. Uh, so end up at UW Eau Claire, but there's an amazing, uh, amazingly strong tie to your grandma. Do you mind sharing that and, and what that? Oh, no, I, I love this story. So I was very close to my grandma who, who um, lived in Milwaukee as well and spent all my summers as I was growing up. Even after we moved um, farther away, I would spend summers with her. And so I was very close to her, um, incredible lady. And um, when it was time to go to college, uh, I was looking all over the East Coast, which is where I was living at the time. And um, she was in Milwaukee. And 
and she started having, she was living alone and started having um, some, some signs of dementia where we were not able to really think about leaving her alone for too long. So I called her up and I said, hey, grandma, I'll go to uh, Wisconsin, Madison, if you will move with me to school so I can at least keep an eye on you and get her an apartment. And, and she agreed, but a month before we were supposed to go, she said, oh, Madison's too big. Um, so I, I said, well, pick another UW school. There's a lot of them. And I, I didn't know a lot of the UW schools. And so she chose Eau Claire. I didn't, had never been there, had never heard of it. And so I said, okay, and, and arrived with my bags and my grandma and found her an apartment near campus. And, um, she moved in, um, to the apartment about half a mile from campus. But then I had an interesting challenge is I spent a lot of times in labs. I was studying to be a dentist. So I had a lot of times in labs and I had to figure out who could watch her and help with her. She still liked to cook. So I just introduced her to all my friends and they would go over there to eat and play cards and she would cook. And it was a great thing all around. So yeah, that's how I, I got my degree and I loved it. So I, I stayed. But it's not exactly most people's uh, college experience, I'd say, hanging out with their friends and their grandma, but that's amazing. It's, it's yeah, really- it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's neat. Um, kind of grilled one of your coworkers for some fun little nuggets to ask yeah. you as well. They said, avid reader. So what is the what is the last great thing that you read or something that's really stuck with you recently? Well, the funny thing is during COVID, I, I haven't, I'm not sure I've made it through an entire book. I have a bunch of them um, like partway through. But, um, yeah, I think that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I um I don't tell my book club that because I keep faking the ending thinking that, you know, I read the whole thing. <laughs> but I, I currently am reading um, The Team of Rivals, and it is a story about, I, I like historical um, nonfiction, and so it's really about um, Lincoln and how he built his um, his cabinet after he won the election, and it was a real divisive time in, in our history, and how he put together um, a team of rivals. He put together bipartisan uh, leadership, and um, and really tried to make, make that work, and, and um, it was kind of fascinating, so that's the one I'm in right now something we can certainly aspire to. We wish it was more like that. (laughs) Working across the aisle. Um, One of the other things they said is that uh, love to travel, including car trips to track down Wisconsin's unique attractions. So what is one of the ones that pops out of something you've come across in this wonderful state of ours? Well, actually it's, this isn't Wisconsin. Um, I travel all over, but, um, and I've seen a lot of very interesting things in Wisconsin, but um, actually one of my favorite road trips that we took recently, or not too recently, I guess it was a number of years ago now, but um, was the Spam Museum um, just over the border in Minnesota. If you haven't been to the Spam Museum, it's worth the drive west and then um, just cross the border and there you are. And it's it's fascinating. It's actually amazing, um, interesting. So that's that's one of my favorite, but but that's what we do. We, um, ever since our, you know, for ever since I was little actually even, and then when my kids were growing up, we would throw everybody in a van. We knew we had a week's time and we would just start driving and um, everybody had an atlas and they could say, Hey, I want to see this roadside attraction or this roadside attraction. And we saw some, some pretty interesting things. That's really cool. I think you and my uncle need to trade some notes because he is exactly that same way. He came to visit me at college and discovered that there was a water tower nearby that was shaped to look like the leaning tower of Pisa, but it was actually a functional water tower. down. That's excellent. (laughs) That was where we had to go that day. Yeah, good stuff like that. Um, let me see what else. You mentioned game theory. And uh, another thing they mentioned, you love logic puzzles. You love figuring out things. Has that just always kind of been how your mind works? As a, and it seems like a perfect fit thing for career if you're trying to solve yeah. all these big picture problems. 
Yeah, I, um, I used to do logic problems when I was little and, um, and puzzles. I love puzzles. Even now I have a 2000 piece puzzle on my kitchen table, which means we can't exactly eat at the kitchen table. So we're eating on a card table right now. I have to get it done before Christmas so we can actually have our meal. But um, I, I love puzzles. I love logic problems. But um, yeah, that is the way my mind works. It's just, it likes to, to work on problems. And I believe there is a solution to everything. Um, you know, what's interesting is my undergrad is in um, a hard science. It's in biology and chemistry. And then my master's degree is in um, more of a relational science. It's in um, counseling and development, community development and crisis. And um, recently I was accepted into a uh, a doctorate of business program. And so those three pieces are like interesting chunks when you put them together. The hard science part of me likes to propose problems and, and create the possibility of solutions. And the relational side of me likes to really use the art side is think through, there's always a way to do it. So sometimes I'm thinking forwards and th sometimes I'm thinking backwards. My staff doesn't always love it because, um, you know, I really, really push on that, that, uh, you know, there's going to be an answer. We just have to keep working at it team, you know, and, and, um, but they enjoy it because it's, it's an interesting journey and we've answered some very challenging questions. Um, our strategic plan is all based on the fact that we're figuring out how does um, hunger relief really affect the greater picture of poverty and, and um, community development. Uh, this is a, interesting to think because you're tackling such a big picture question in, in the one hand, but then do you end up kind of focusing on that? all the time or is it kind of break down in terms of okay let's solve this here solve this here while keeping that overarching thing in mind um so i'm i like to go um to be strategic i like that big picture thinking i like that planning piece but i really like to finish the challenges that i start and so i like to also go down and make sure that we have accomplished what it is that we set out to do before we create the next thing if, if i was all ideas um it would be probably a little overwhelming um i did teach my leadership team though to um, it, um, to create a quadrant, and we we separate ideas into four different areas: um, urgent and immediate, or you know immediate but not urgent. So we have these four quadrants, and so we started referring to, referring to things like mm, quadrant four idea, and that might mean we don't need to tackle it right now, but we don't want to lose that thought. It's a good way to take when your brain is really powered up. It's a good way to segment and say, okay, what can we tackle? What do we have to finish before we can get to another idea? But, but we don't want to lose anything because there's some some real gems when you when you start looking at uh, the totality of of the challenges in a community. It's like a much more structured way to look at a to do list or something like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Last question for you, Patty, because it sounds like it's going to be a great uh, story to hear about. You got to ride in a car with Johnny Cash. That's just an amazing uh, teaser right there. Yeah, well, um, this goes back to my dad's career. So when I was little, um, my dad ran um, exposition centers and, and concert um, halls and all of that. And um, we lived in a lot of parts of the country. We moved all the time. And um, in each of those, one of his jobs was always to pick up the entertainers at the airport and bring them back. And I, when I was very, very small, I, I hated that. I would always, you know, he'd be like, jump in the car and come with me. And I'm like, I really don't want to, but um, yes. So one of them was picking up Johnny Cash at the airport and bring him, you know, to his hotel. And, and so, you know, I remember sitting in the back seat and they were talking and I was like, oh, I don't want to be here. And then I realized later who he was. <laughs> and I, yeah. And so, I mean, it was Helen Reddy and, 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 you know, there was just a lot of entertainers that I've been in the car with and, and didn't really realize, you know, what an opportunity that was. Yeah, you want to go back in time and say, like, I do. <laughs> this is amazing. 
Well, for all those travels, we're very happy that uh, you've settled here in Wisconsin, whether it's the Fox Valley or the Milwaukee area with the work that you do, Patty. Thank you so much for the time. This has been a lot of fun. (laughs) Thank you. This has been fun. Thank you. Thank you once again to Patty for sharing all of that with us, and they are always looking for donations to Feeding America Eastern Wisconsin. A thank you as well to the two people you don't hear from behind the scenes here at Fox 6 with our podcast department, Sarah Smith and Dave Machuda. If you're interested in more from Definitely Milwaukee or from the Fox 6 Investigators podcast, Open Record, you can find all those episodes online at fox6now.com or leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.